Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest on today's episode, Dahlia Barsoom, is a longtime Ray member and a multiple award-winning broker and finance advisor with well over 20 years of experience in the banking sector spanning lending, wealth management strategies, and real estate. She holds an MBA in finance from Dalhousie University and is a fellow of the Institute of Canadian Bankers Association. In 2011, Dahlia launched Streetwise Mortgages, a boutique brokerage that specializes in servicing real estate investors and self-employed clients across Ontario. She is the author of Amazon's bestseller, Canadian Real Estate Investor Financing, Seven Secrets to Getting All the Money You Want. She is a public speaker. She's been on the rain stage many times, a regular columnist for the Canadian Real Estate Wealth Magazine, and she contributes to various media outlets on the topics of real estate investing and financing. Dalia and her team have helped many real estate investors and reigned members kickstart their investment plans as well as take their portfolios to the next level. Her clients range from rookie investors to sophisticated investors with multi-million dollar portfolios. In all she does, Dahlia remains committed and connected to her motto of helping as many people as she can along the way. Today she joins me to share her insights on real estate investing and her journey of being the best and of living her best life. Dahlia Barsoom, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Thanks for uh, joining me on the show today. Hi, Patrick. Thank you very much for the opportunity. 
So I'm excited to have you on the show, Dahlia. Now, I've gotten to know you a little bit over uh, the past while. You're a long-term RAIN member, very accomplished uh, broker, real estate investor. So um, we got lots to talk about today. And in the context of, you know, seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved extraordinary results, you've done some amazing, amazing stuff in your career and in your kind of uh, lifetime, if you will. So, but let's talk about who you are. If somebody, you know, the listeners that don't know you, if they walk up, somebody walks up and says, hey, Dahlia, nice to meet you. What do you do? What's your answer to that question? Well, Patrick, I don't have an elevator pitch, uh, to be honest with you, but uh, who I am is really simple. I am a mother of two beautiful kids, Alex and Vincent, uh, 13 and eight years old. I am married and um, I also uh, have a dog. His name is Yogi. And as a person, I enjoy just the simple things. Um, I enjoy taking walks. I enjoy le- listening to uh, music, in particular Latin music and th- dancing to Latin beats. And I enjoy uh, reading and just time with my family where, when, when possible. So mm-hmm. that's in a mm-hmm. nutshell. And aside from that, there is my professional life, which I thoroughly enjoy. I don't look at it as a as as work or a job, really. So that's an interesting place to enter the conversation, you know. And uh, because uh, streetwise, how long have you had or driven, been a part of whatever whatever language you might want to use? Uh, streetwise Capital is it Streetwise Capital? Is that is that right? Did I say it's that right? Streetwise Mortgages, but we do have practice within mortgages. the uh, brokerage called Streetwise Private Capital. So pretty close. <laughs> Pretty close. Yeah, I could. I knew I got the two confused. Okay, great. So we know where we're at. So that's awesome. So how long have you been driving that bus? And uh, tell me a little bit about how that all got yeah, started. Yeah, I um, I've been in the mortgage industry now since 2011, and I stepped into the mortgage uh, world really from a finance background where I used to work for uh, BMO for 12 years. I started simply as a mortgage agent uh, with um, with uh, passion for real estate investing because. That's that's the space that fascinated me, and um, I wanted to be at the the center of the deal, knowing how to actually put these deals together and talk to everyone involved, which is what we do as mortgage agents or mortgage brokers. I started in the industry in 2011. Over time, I uh, became a broker versus starting as a mortgage agent, and then I branched out on my own in 2016. So I became a broker owner of the Streetwise Mortgages brand in 2016. What was your background? Well, you were with, uh, you know, with your, you were with BMO. So banking and finance is kind of in your blood and that's kind of where you grew up or cut your teeth kind of thing. And, but even, even in that game that you were playing back then, what was kind of some of the stuff that you were doing back yeah, then? Yeah, I actually you? started um, in technology. I started um, in computer mm-hmm. science and technology. I was a programmer and uh, a database administrator. That's what uh, I started when I, when I first joined BMO. And then I, uh, you know, as much as I enjoyed the complexity of technology, and at that time, technology was still hot, I really missed the social interactions and couldn't sustain being in technology talking to machines. <laughs> so over time, I made a conscious decision to actually switch over to the business side and gradually moved from technology 
to business um, analysis, which involves talking, you know, technology and business, and then um, jumped between departments within BMO. So I started in personal and commercial in, in the credit card division, and then I moved to personal and commercial banking, and then I moved to uh, business strategy and um, wealth management at the um, end of my career with BMO. So then what was the, I guess, the turning point for you? Because, you know, there's always, as I talk to entrepreneurs, business owners, there seems to be a kind of a fork in the road. So was your, you know, departure from BMO, was that a fork in the road for you? Because then you went, you, did you go to Streetwise right at that point? Or was there something, a stopover between BMO and Streetwise? So I thoroughly enjoyed working um, at BMO and Mm -hmm. my desire was to actually continue with BMO and I climbed the corporate ladder and got to a point where I was in a good senior position right before I left. Uh, But um, I left because I wanted to um, have more control over time, especially with a small family, a young family. Mm -hmm. At the time I left BMO, I was pregnant and I had a three years old um, son at home. Mm-hmm. And you know how kids are. Sometimes they get sick. Sometimes you know you have to you have to run an, around and make sure you pick them up from daycare. And I just overall you know thought you know what this is a time to actually try something that will give me more control and be allow me to be around the kids. And it was around 2011 that um, I made that decision. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about Streetwise Mortgages, what you do, and even the private capital part of it. Like, give me some background about what it is you guys do, what maybe even, what what are, what's the kind of mission of Streetwise and how you work with clients. Give me some background about all, all things Streetwise. Yeah, so Simply Streetwise Mortgages um, is a mortgage brokerage that works with real estate investors across Ontario. And our mission is to help investors structure capital the right way to grow a real estate portfolio. So we have clients that come to us and say, Dahlia, I want to grow in real estate. Where is the money going to come from? How am I going to put it all together to make sure that, you know, eventually I get to this income to replace my current income or to help me in retirement? Um, So our mission is to, to, as a real estate investor, you've got your plan, but underneath that plan is capital structure. So our mission is to make sure that that capital structure is solid, structured the right way to enable you to grow um, a real estate portfolio, you know, from the one property to eventually, you know, whatever number of properties that you need to to reach your goal. So that's all we do day in and um, day out. And so, you know, that's interesting that we, you know, when you think about even how you describe that and, and the fact that you are, you know, from a RAIN perspective, you know, you're one of our trusted partners because of the fact that you are very, very specific in dealing with uh, real estate investors. Now, I'm sure you work with others, but primarily your focus is working with real estate investors and understanding the dynamics of what it takes to be successful investing in real estate, because a common mistake or oversight that investors make is they go for the easy money first, or they go for the, they go down this path of least resistance. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, two, three properties later, they're going, okay, there's something not working here and I can't seem to get any mortgages. I can't seem to access capital. So what do you see as a kind of a, a common 
challenge that your I, I don't I want to say I don't want to use the term mistake, but it, it really is an oversight by real estate investors. Is that do you see what I see, which is many are just not sitting down to put a plan together. Like they don't sit down with the right people to actually have a plan. They get in, they jump into the world of investing in real estate, but they don't put a really strong plan together and they don't sit down with people that can help them put a plan together. They may go direct to the bank, which I've never thought is a, a smart move. I know it works for some, but I've seen too often where that doesn't work. It, you know, it comes back to bite you in the ass later on. But tell me a little bit about that whole philosophy about planning and the, st the strategy and kind of moving the chess pieces around the board, Dahlia. Yes, uh, Patrick, absolutely. Planning is really, really important in real estate, whether uh, planning uh, involves understanding the markets you're going to get in, how are you going to actually execute on your plans to the type of financing you're going to get, not just for the transaction at hand, but if you want to take your portfolio to, you know, three, five, 10, 15 properties, what does that roadmap look like? Definitely the pitfall is the lack of planning in many cases, because action is important. And we all hear about action and we should, all, we must all take action to move forward. But if you take action without proper planning, then you're taking action that may lead you somewhere, but that somewhere may not necessarily be the place you want it to be. So, <laughs> so definitely sitting down early in the process and understanding from a financing standpoint, it's not about what's my mortgage rate and how much do I qualify for. That's not what we call planning. That's the easy part. The more involved part of planning financing for real estate investors is knowing where is my down payment going to come? What, what are my sources of capital? Okay. First of all, what are my sources of capital? Is it, is it JV partners? Is it my own money? Is it unsecured line of credits? Is it secured line of credit? What's my sources of capital and how am I going to plan my sources of capital early on and deploy them in a way that makes sense based on where I'm heading. That's really, really key because sometimes people go buy a property and then they go, oh, okay, where is the rest of the money going to come from to grow? So having that discussion early on helps, you know, get ready in, in, in other words. So sources of capital, how are we going to structure the deals? Who should go on title? If, if we have a couple, is it Dahlia and her husband? Is it Dahlia alone? Is it her husband? Is it a corporation? If I'm investing in a group, how are we going to structure that? What does that look like? And how do we make sure that early on in the conversation, we not only talk about financing, but involve your other advisors? So if we're going to talk about title structure, maybe from a financing standpoint, that's the best structure that will get you the best financing. But then I want to make sure that the investor spoke with their lawyer and spoke with their accountant because God forbid something happens to one person. How is the other person protected if that asset is to move to the other person? I don't want to sacrifice financing. I don't want to get them to win on financing and lose out on, you know, the accounting side or the legal side. So again, that's part of that coordinated conversation that takes place upfront. So structure, capital sources, and then everything else that is standard income. How are we going to plan your income as self-employed client? What, where is, you know, if you're self-employed, are we reporting more income from your business? Are we reporting less income from your business? What impact does that have on the financing you get? So we start to drill down into all of the nitty gritty details associated with actually 
getting financing upfront. Because by drilling in the in the granular details, as much as some people go, oh my God, this is too much detail at this point. I don't want to deal with this. That's exactly what you need to deal with upfront to avoid mistakes down the road. And then it helps you actually crystallize what how things would look like. That's very powerful, I find. Versus just talking, okay, yes, we're going to talk about mortgage term and mortgage amount and mortgage, you know, you know, features eventually, but that's not the hardcore of financing for real estate investors. And then on top of that, okay, where are all of the creative strategies going to come in? If we're going to use, you know, if we're going to use joint venture money, if we're going to use RSP financing, if we're going to use vendor takebacks, how does that all come together? Again, part of the discussion upfront doesn't mean that we're going to do it once. It's going to be ongoing, but at least let's clear a lot of that up front and tweak as we go. Yeah. And I think there's a, so you make a really great point there, Dahlia, which is that, you know, it isn't, there's a, there's a couple things, you know, the planning part of it is, you know, are you going to do one, three, five, 10, whatever your number is of uh, properties that you want to invest in and the particular strategy you're going to use, you have to look into the future and make sure that you're putting things in place today so that they don't come back to haunt you in the future and haunt you being, you know, is there, you know, does it, does it go off and go off on a tangent that you don't want it to go off on and put you at risk or, or does it actually put you at a different kind of risk, which is at risk of not being able to get the capital you need. So planning in the, you know, upfront for what the future looks like, having a conversation with a professional like yourself actually sets you up for success in the long term. You know, when you talk about it, and this is something of course that, you know, we all as real estate investors and in, in rain in, in the space of education and doing what we do, this all can be a little overwhelming for some people who are just starting out. It's like, holy cow, that's a lot of work. But here's the fundamental part of it is it's a lot of work up front the first time. Then things start to get easier because there's a lot of things that are in place. And if you get into uh, you know really planning, you're actually keeping all this information up to date because now you know what it is that you need going into the future. You have a plan in place and then you're executing against that plan and updating it. So, so I want to point that out. But here's something else is that you know for real estate investors, I, I just can't stress enough how important it is to make sure you've got professionals on the team in any space. In this case, of course, we're speaking with Dahlia, who's in the space of you know mortgage, uh, mortgages and capital. And that's why that's so important. Unless you're in the space, you don't know what's going on. I mean, the banking industry... Right now, the mortgage industry is crazy. I mean, there's like, what do you got to do to get a mortgage these days? It's gotten more difficult, more uh, nuances, more details, more everything to actually acquire uh, a piece of real estate. And that can frustrate some investors, might even slow it down, shut them down if they let it, you know. But the reality of it is, is that you now face whatever hurdle you face, and then you just work through it and you put yourself in a position with the right people to do that. Tell me a little bit about you, Dahlia, in terms of when you look at how, you know, streetwise, what you stand for, what you stand for as a person, you know, you've been on our stage, you're, you get fired up about stuff. You love to help people. Where does that come from? Like, what was, what was, how does that show up for you that lights you up the way it lights you up when you're helping your clients or speaking on stage or doing what you do? 
I just found out with time, Patrick, that what really makes me happy and engaged is uh, actually helping others. And when I have a conversation with someone and, and the person and, and the client goes, Dahlia, wow, thank you so much. This has helped me crystallize thing or this, I would have never been here if it wasn't for the advice, if it weren't for the advice you guys have given me. To see that we're making an impact, measurable impact on clients' wealth uh, is, is very, very, very rewarding for me. Mm-hmm. So that's really what fuels me to try to perfect my craft. I want to know every single thing that has to do with investment property financing <laughs> and leave no stones unturned, whether it's institutional, whether it's you know creative, whether it's you name it. I want to decode that for clients because I also implement a lot of what I share personally and I know that it works and that for me fuels me. I'm like taking complex things and demystifying them, decoding them, and in the process, helping others make, see the impact on on their lives at the end of the day. Your corporate world, and I want to talk about even way before BMO, but you came out of this corporate world, you know, know, you're in the tech part of that, which is, you know, that technology, you know, you're, you're, you may be an introvert, but you show up as an extrovert. So I know that in the world of tech, often that introvert, being an introvert works because it, you know, whether, whether, you know, it's ones and zeros and data and programming and all that kind of stuff. So you're not built for that. You have that realization, but somewhere there's that brain power, that brain space that says, I like digging into this stuff. Like, I love that puzzle and putting puzzles together or whatever that might be for you. But then you transition out of the corporate world into this entrepreneurial private sector. And what was the transition like for you? How did, were you like, were you freaked out about doing that? Here you are, you're a mom, a, a new mom, relatively well, three years and, a, and, a, and one on the way. So at that time, were you jumping off the cliff? Was it freaking you out? How was your transition or were you just really clear? Now's the time. I wouldn't say that it was clear that this is the time. It. I have always been, I'm a, I'm a very cautious person. Just as a person, I am a cautious person. I take calculated risks. I want to make sure I have a backup plan. I want to make sure I, I thought it through. And, and that's me. And sometimes you get tied back in analysis paralysis doing that. But I learned over time where to draw the line between analysis paralysis and you know taking a calculated risk. So when I made the transition to entrepreneurship, it wasn't it, it wasn't like waking up one day and going, okay, you know what? Today is the day this is going to happen. No, it was never like that. It took me actually years trying to think through what I want to do in life, what would I enjoy doing. And I know that it's in the entrepreneurial space. I just didn't know that it's going to be mortgages. Uh, but when I got to a point where, you know, I had the, the young family and my husband was working for corporate at that time, I thought, you know what, let me try venturing out. And I was so scared 
I was so scared. I can't tell you the day I left the the the, the downtown tower. Okay, I looked back and I went. Ah. One day I know if this was the right decision or not. But inside of me, I had this feeling that yeah, it will be the right decision. Just push through. Just just do it. You're scared, but just do it. What's the worst that could happen? The worst that could happen is you know. Things don't work out and you'll eventually do something else. So what's the worst? You're not going to die. So it was so scary. But then I just kept going and I I knew what what my my worst case was. So I knew that I was taking a calculated risk and I gave it it my all going in, uh, in terms of focus. And here we are. I don't look back. You don't, yeah, and 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 I mean, you've you've had you've enjoyed a lot of success, and you know you continue to grow and do what you do. But it, now, leaving that downtown core, that downtown lifestyle, and that vibe, and uh, you know, when you reflect back on it, it was. I'm, I, we know that it was a, a really important part of your life. But do you, at some point, do you miss that vibe? Do you, you know, do you miss that vibe or you just really settled into being a mom and a wife and a business owner and hanging out with the kids and doing what you do? Is How is that yeah. for you these days? That's a really interesting question because, you know, when you uh, are in corporate work for a long time and if you've climbed the corporate ladder, you end up being on the 40-something floor in a fancy mahogany office, uh, you know, wearing your beautiful suits and clothes and just like it's the vibe is is very corporate okay? And when you leave, when I left, I know I was leaving you know, that image. But I also realized that over time, that's my ego talking, my Mm -hmm. ego talking. And at the end of the day, that didn't bring me happiness. That did not make me fully engaged and satisfied. And um, I don't miss it. I don't miss it at all. (laughs) I'm happy being in my pajamas sometimes working from home. Very happy. Beautiful. Working in my backyard. Very happy. Having <laughs> <laughs> so, my dog by my side and, you know, very happy. I don't need the materialistic. At, at the end of the day, yes, you, you make money and you want to enjoy certain things in life, but it doesn't define me. Tell me something, you know, because we're, you know, we're 16 weeks or whatever it's been. Uh, I've lost track now um, into covid Everybody's kind of starting to come out of, you know, emerge from their caves and uh, some semblance of order is starting to emerge, you know, but you meant you mentioned something around we want to make money. We want to have stuff in, you know, the materialism. It just sparked a, you know, a thought for me is from your perspective. And I'm because we're going to be I know that I'm having these conversations with a number of people is that. Now that you've been locked down, you're coming out of lockdown, are you seeing uh, the world in a different light? And I mean that in that are, you know, how are you viewing your family, your life? Um, You know, lots of people have said to me, you know something, I haven't bought clothes, I haven't bought shoes. And quite frankly, I don't think I'll, I give a shit anymore. And, And right now it doesn't, it, and and that could be primarily because guess what? You're not out back out in the world in a normal way. Maybe, you know, I don't know what that is, but some people feel they've really, really changed around the whole consumerism 
world. Don't know if that'll be, you know, the trend or what it is, but how has it been for you? Just out of curiosity, what's what's been your experience? COVID uh, definitely made me reflect on a lot of things. And uh, it did um, help me shift my thinking and how I, I live my day. I've started only during COVID to listen to some spiritual books and to also focus more, much more than I did in the past, even on personal development. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I came to the conclusion that it is the moments in your day. Sometimes we were so busy, so, so busy running and trying to achieve more and trying to do more and take on more. And I'm an ambitious person, so I have big goals and I have big dreams and I, I will continue to work on those. But what I learned through COVID is you can still do that, but you have to appreciate the moments in your day, the little things, walking with my dog, listening to the birds, hearing the trees, hearing the wind, um, watching my kids play, just calming down and and in silence, really. Um, so are materialistic things important? No, I don't crave them, actually. I, I don't crave them. And in COVID, I've, I've been wearing my shirt, same shirt for... <laughs> I don't know. You don't want to know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, it's it's not the um, it's the simple things. Uh, my conclusion is that it's the simple things that make us happy, and we we have to just calm down and observe. And reflect. And that happened to me during COVID. I was going so fast and I've always gone so fast. Part of where why I am where I am is because I'm always going and growing and achieving. But sometimes you have to, while doing that, you have to find moments to actually reflect and simplify and appreciate the little things. And uh, that's really what I've come to uh, observe during this path. Interesting is that there, there, there's a lot of that. I've, I mean, it, it, certainly in the circle of influence I have and, and that in the people I talk to, I see a lot of that just slowing down uh, a greater appreciation for what we or what people currently have and where they are in their life. And uh, it was a good cause and time for reflection for many. And so I, I just find it interesting and because I'm always looking for trends and I'm always looking for, you know, where, you know, where are we heading now? Who knows where that will be? It's still too early to tell marketing, social media, advertising. I mean, they're pretty brilliant at getting, you know, the brain and that oxytocin hit and they do all the things that they do. Uh, clickbait and all that stuff gets people fired up again, but it'll be interesting to see how the evolution goes forward. So thanks for sharing that. Now, Tell me something, Dahlia, you know, you you ended up with this kind of entrepreneurial inspiration. You know, you looked at it, you said, well, my outcome is that I want to hang out with the kids. I want to be a mom. I want to have time with my family and being locked into, you know, the TikTok of the corporate world while it's cool doesn't doesn't accommodate me. And that's not that's not OK. 
But do you come by, you know, where do you come from your entrepreneur? Where does your entrepreneurial spirit come from? What's your background? Like, tell me a little bit about where you grew up. What, what's your background? What did your parents do? Where, where did that all form from? Uh, well, it didn't form uh, from anywhere in my family, to be honest. Um, I um, grew up in the Middle East. I grew up in Kuwait, which is in the Gulf region. I, I am originally from Egypt. My family is Egyptian, but they moved from Egypt to Kuwait many, many years ago to, to earn a living. And I grew up in Kuwait uh, most of my life up until about uh, 18 or 19 years of age. And um, I grew up uh, in a very traditional family. My father and mother were in the medical field and um, the culture and family norms were to make sure that the next person in the family grows up to follow the same footsteps of the parents because the parents know that this is the place that you need to grow into because you know, it works. Certain... Exactly. 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 <laughs> okay. Well, Dahlia, you know, I, I don't want to break the story up here, but I mean, you screwed that up, right? So, you know, oh, man. <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs> you know, cultures are, are amazing. You know, it's so interesting cultural. So anyways, uh, on with your story. So, uh, so you didn't go into the medical field. Bad daughter. So, um, so bad daughter. Exactly. You want to know how bad my dad was so stuck on me going to the medical field? I actually applied to the medical field just to make my family happy. Now I know that I shouldn't have done that, but I did that because I wanted to make my parents happy. And you know, I was able to apply for medical school in Egypt, and I got actually accepted. So, um, but part of me said. No. After I applied and after I got accepted, I said, no, I am not going to go and do this because I actually don't like it. But I have an appreciation for the medical field and we can't live without medical professionals. And I, it's just not in me. I, that's not what makes me tick. So I, I was so close to actually packing, leaving Kuwait to go to Egypt, to, to, to go stay at the residence at the university. And I said, I'm not going. My father... <laughs> kept paying for my medical seat for, for a seat in Egypt. You can actually pay to reserve the seat. Once you get accepted, he paid for four years. He was convinced oh, you're going. <laughs> I had chosen a completely different field, computer science and started university in computer science. And I, I was already, you know, like down a different path. My father was still paying for that seat. <laughs> <laughs> that I will one day change my mind. Wow. And it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you came to uh, Canada 18, 19 years old. Is that what I heard? Yeah. And uh, was that was that on your own or with family? How, did the whole family come over? I came with uh, my mom and sisters. Okay. Yeah. My, my father remained back home and then he followed us later. So I'm actually quite interested and always fascinated by what I think must be just a freaking brave thing to do to, you know, pack your family up from your, you know, your roots. And this is where immigration, I mean, in, in, I mean, certainly in some countries, it's like, get me the hell out of here. You know, let's face it, you know, like, let's go to Canada because 
nothing can be worse than this, right? So there's lots of inspiration and motivation to do that. I don't know what the circumstances at the time in Kuwait, Egypt, but but overall, I mean, that's a brave thing to do. So tell me a little bit about why, what was the, what was the inspiration, motivation to leave and come to Canada? Uh, the inspiration was actually my mom. At that, uh, I, I was young and my sisters were young and we weren't uh, old enough to make uh, these decisions. But my mom had the foresight to say, you know what, at some point we will be leaving the Gulf region because you actually, um, you just work there and then you leave at some point. That's how the system is set up. So my mom had the foresight to say, okay, many, many years from now, what's good, how will life look for us? And um, she planted that seed of let's look at other areas or other countries where the kids can grow up, establish, you know, a fruitful life. And um, that's how it all started because the, the sad reality uh, of living in the Middle East is that, um, that you, you could still see discrimination. You see, you, you see discrimination as much as the society has come a long, long, long way. Um, there is discrimination by religion. There is discrimination by gender. There is discrimination by color. There is discrimination by, you know, you name it. There, there is discrimination. And um, as a woman in the Middle East and had my mom, you know, we had, I, had, I have two other sisters. My mom saw that we will likely, very likely do much better in a country like Canada that appreciates diversity, that's got opportunity, that, that, that has equality. So she had that foresight and uh, it's because of her that um, we're here. Uh, otherwise, my, I, I think uh, things would have been a little bit different for us if we had took a different Route. Well, it's, a, it's such an interesting time, you know, to be discussing, you know, immigration into Canada in particular. You know, your mom, you know, really the matriarch of the family, you know, grabs everybody by the hand, says, we're heading to Canada. This is what I believe is the safe move to make. I, I just think those kind of moves um, must be so brave. So it's, it's I, I'm, I'm just interested in like the wow, like to do that. Like I, I think to myself even, you know, if I had to pack my bags and, you know, take my wife and daughter and grandkids and move to another country, what that would be like. So it's always interesting, you know, the, what that must be because your mom comes, she's, she's got a, a, some kind of a degree or I'm assuming in, or a medical background. Did she know she was coming to a job or was she just kind of getting off the boat, so to speak, and uh, trying to figure stuff out as she went along? Well, my mom uh, has had uh, to uh, rewrite all of her exams coming here. Uh, she had to learn French. She had no French background. And uh, she was willing to carve through the stones to uh, carve uh, her path and carve a path for us. And, um, you know, we were comfortable where we were. It's not like something bad had happened that initiated this uh you know, idea to immigrate. It's, it's, um, we were, we were comfortable. We were happy. We had many more years to, 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 to live in Kuwait and, and to continue to, to work. But, uh, my mom made the decision to leave everything behind and go down the difficult path of starting all over again for herself. And part of me is, is, 
part of what what helped me um, raise my resiliency, I would say, is seeing my mom take a difficult path despite the fact that we were comfortable. She's always pushed me and she pushed herself and I saw her push herself. And for me, that's always been in the, I guess, in the background of how do you actually push yourself, although you're so scared, so, so scared, you push yourself and you trust your, your intuition. And, and, and then once it passes, you go, wow, I did that? That, that, was, that was amazing. How did I do that? <laughs> I have, you know, I just have a lot of admiration for many, many immigrants that have come to Canada. I mean, really, Canada is such a small country. I mean, 33, whatever it is, 33, 36 million. I mean, we're, you know, I say it all the time. I mean, we're in, in the big picture. We're not even a rounding error to the U.S. or we're just this really safe little place to hang out. And I love Canada, you know, so it's, it's amazing, but we're such a blip, you know, so I admire immigrants into Canada and I see those that come in and how important it is. So I see where you get your tenacity from and your drive. I mean, you, you left, you know, the, the ivory tower and the security of a corporate job to go out on your own. That takes bravery. You know, you were very fearful, but you did that for your family. So it's, it's, it's not the same, but it's kind of like, okay, well, that makes sense. You know, where do you get that drive from? Where do you get the, the, you know, the confidence going, well, listen, if my mom can drag us down here from Kuwait into Canada, I get to look after us and make sure it's best for the family. You know, I can certainly uh, change careers and, and move on to the entrepreneurial world to look after my family. So that's kind of a, there is a correlation there in terms of mindset and the influence. Your your mom seemed to have a lot of influence. What about your dad? Did he have a lot of influence on you as a as a girl growing up? Yes, dad did have influence. Dad who taught me to take calculated risks. So, mom is the person who would follow her intuition and would just go after what her intuition is telling her, which is what happened in Canada. Of course, she learned about Canada and she made the calculated move, but dad is, is all about risk. Dad, and, and sometimes to the extent that, you know, you know how you met, when you manage risks, sometimes they can, risks can par- paralyze, but if you learn how to manage risks, you can actually make smarter decisions. So dad helped me think with risk in mind. So that I always look at things and I go, okay, what is the worst case scenario? How can I make sure I mitigate uh, if in case something you know happens? That's that's my dad's thinking, and uh, that served me. Sometimes it helped me back, but I would say overall it served me well. When you're, you know, what the Dahlia, when when you look back on over the years and and you your vision for success, you were downtown Toronto, BMO. I recently talked, uh, you know, with Sherry, Dr. Sherry Cooper, who was economist and was with BMO for 40 years. I mean, she was, she, she's a big deal in, in that space. Yeah. And, uh, but we did talk a little bit about good old boys club and, you know, man's world. And, and were you facing that back then at that time still, or was, or were things changing? You know, were, were, did you feel at any time as a, as a woman, that you were kind of hitting that glass ceiling? Were you finding, were you, were you still, was it still at a time where women were only breaking in? Were you a bit of a pioneer still in that world or had many gone before you? What was the scenario back in the corporate world back then? 
No, I wouldn't say that many have. It depends on which group I was in at BMO at the time. Uh, I mean, the wealth management group was heavily uh, man-dominated. Other divisions within bank, within the bank were in. But I would say overall, BMO as a culture and as a company was very forward-coming with uh, resources and education to make sure that women are developing within the corporate. That's something that I uh, dearly uh, appreciated about working uh, for BMO. But I also believe that as a woman, I know there is this notion that, okay, men's world, women's world, and, and there is some truth to that, of course, but I believe that if you show what you're capable of and serve other on the way, others on the way, you can influence and you can carve your own path regardless of whether you're a man or a woman. I never felt that, oh, because I'm a woman, you know, I can't do this, this and that. Or because a woman, a woman, I should talk in this way because this is a man's world. I never thought of that. I never operated within that lens. It's the lens that you look through that you operate within, right? So for me, I never, I had amazing men peers and amazing women peers and for me, it was like, okay, let me, I'll do the work. I'll show what I'm capable of. And I trust that I will get the results. You know, I love that. And, and you know, the reason I, I, I shine a light on that is because, you know, number one, I'm such a huge fan of women in general. And I'm a, even a huger fan of really powerful women that have that mindset that are going, you know, the only thing that's in the way of a man's world and a woman's world is my attitude towards it. You know, I have, exactly. uh, you know, my wife, you know, Stephanie, who many of these listeners will have heard of or heard me talk about. I mean, she's the first uh, skating coach in the NHL, the first paid skating coach in the NHL. I mean, and that was back in the nineties, you know, so, you know, so it's, it's, but that's her attitude, right? It's, it's not a man's world and a, and a woman's world. It's this world. And I'm going to step into it because that's what lights me up. And, and so what I hear in what you're saying is really the lens you look through is how you then step into the world. It is really your view of the world. And I think that's such a strong message perhaps for, you know, women who are, looking at it through an older lens, like there is this differentiation or maybe they're even feeling it, experiencing it. And I don't want to go on to a man world feminism kind of conversation. That's not the intention. But if you were to, if you're giving women guidance, a young lady who's in that world, uh, who's thinking that there is a barrier, would you, what, what kind of guidance would you give them? What would you say? What would you say to somebody who goes, yeah, but it's a man's world. I can't do it. I would start by removing that mental barrier. Because if that mental barrier is right there, that's how we will feel and that's how we will operate based on how we feel and see it. So, and I know it's not as easy as say, oh, remove that mental barrier. But it's truly, it's truly the barriers we create in our heads that make us, they influence how we show up. So find ways to remove that mental barrier. And then do your absolute best and focus on your passions and give it your all and see what happens. And that's what I would say. How long have you been married now, Dahlia? Oh, I've been married uh, to Victor for 20... This is our 20th year. Okay. Wow. And we have about Victor. Victor had a big influence on how, you know, 
where I am right now, back here, 20 years. Well, but see, this is important. So in the context of the show, The Everyday Millionaire, it really is about seemingly ordinary individuals achieving extraordinary results. But the question is, how do we achieve those results? You know, it's, you know, we, we you know, the, the whole point is everyday millionaires, people who just live their life, have achieved some great results. But what does it take to do that? You know, I could have taken the show on a tangent going, I want to, you know, interview the Richard Bransons of the world or the, I don't know, the Bill Gates or whatever. My point is, is that they're out there. They're always talking about that stuff. You know, Tony Robbins interviews those guys. Tim Ferriss does that. And they're wonderful. I've listened to many of them. But what I see, and especially within the community that, you know, I hang out in within the RAIN community and my center of influence is I'm looking at some really successful people, you know, that have really accomplished some cool things. The question is, how do you do that? Like, how do you really do that? What does it look like? It doesn't have to be, and maybe it does for some. Maybe your goal is a private jet, or maybe your goal is Lamborghinis and, you know, 10,000 square foot houses. There's no, whatever that is. But in the in the world of seemingly ordinary, extraordinary, you talk about Victor, your husband, significant other. That was a really big part of your success. Victor has been a big part of my success. Now, although he's behind the scene and he's not part of Streetwise Mortgages, but uh, he has been in many, many, many ways. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about relationship, because depending on the quality of your relationship and were you always pretty aligned in it? So, you know, you can have a significant other and in your case, uh, you know, a husband that's a cheerleader. That's great. And cheerleaders are awesome. Or you can have a significant other that may be always questioning, you're working too hard, you're putting in too much time, and how come I have to look after the kids? And why didn't you clean up the kitchen? It's your turn to clean up the kitchen. So what kind of relationship and how intentional was the development of your relationship? Um, you know, once again, as we give listeners guidance and things to think about, what was your experience in how you and Victor operated as a couple and and what and what Victor was doing that supported your success? I would say Victor and I are very different people. We're not uh, twins. We're not, we don't agree on everything. And I believe that's what uh, developed uh, the growth uh, in our relationship. There are times where, you know, Victor thought that I am obsessed with real estate. I am just so obsessed with real estate that I do nothing but learn and breathe and eat real estate. And I agree. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> no intensity there, but, uh, you know, maybe I was a little <laughs> overboard a couple times. Yes, yes. But here is the thing. Um, at the end of the day, I believe in the power of focus. And if you don't focus passionately on what you are looking to achieve and work on it every single day, every single day, many, many steps that eventually build up, then that's that if there is no such resilience and laser focus, that's how goals fall through the cracks. That's how, you know, goals become just dreams. So I think with time, um, you know, um, Victor and I started to agree on that. And, and basically, um, Victor has become my sounding board. Sometimes I am so in the trenches doing things because I'm so focused on getting to the goal and Victor is behind the scene going, oh, I see you here from a distance. Uh, did you look here or did you think about this? Uh, did you, you know, maybe step back and, and 
step back, distance yourself and look at the big picture here. So he's always, always done that for me. And um, we complement each other. He's the big picture guy. I am the, you know, I take ideas and I just go at them and I implement them. So he's been always my sounding board and also been very, very supportive uh, in terms of seeing what, what I'm passionate about and taking responsibility for other things that I actually cannot take care of all the time. We've agreed that in order for us as a family to prosper and to achieve our goals, we have to focus and collaborate on certain things. I can't run a successful business and do this and do this and do this and do that. Then then I'm going to stretch myself so, so thin, burn myself on the way, and he's going to be miserable and I'm going to be miserable and we're not going to take care of anything. So this is how we now, at this stage of our marriage, you know, divided our responsibilities. Yes, I participate in a lot of things, but we've divided our responsibilities and um, we know why we're doing things in certain ways and we're happy doing them that way. You know, I love what you said there, which was one of the things I picked up on, which was that you agreed that as a family, this is how we need to operate, which means that there was communication in there. So at, at some level, you whether you got to it just naturally or you kind of fought your way through it, but ultimately you got to a place where your communication became about what is in fact best for the family. Yes, and, the communication, exactly. And it was big communication. It's interesting, you know, in the work that Stephanie and I do, and and as Stephanie kind of rolls into some of the stuff that we're doing, even within RAIN, is that we're seeing time and time again where couples break down is in the communication. And it, they, the realization that we've had over the years is that we have disconnects all the time in terms of what we agree on or disagree on. But, you know, we have fundamental values, foundational values that we always agree on, that we have built our life, our lifestyle, our belief system around that worked for both of us. Having said that, our commitment is always to the relationship first and and having an amazing relationship. And, and that, that way, we're not making it about the other person in that context. So it's a different, it's an interesting shift that I see that, you know, the most successful couples and business owners in those relationships, they have, because you, you, you nailed it when you said, you know, we sat back and said, what's best for the family? So it wasn't about what's best for me or what's best for you. It's what's best for the relationship, what's best for the family. And that changes the conversation. It takes it from navel gazing to, a, you know, a way bigger picture going, how do you know, it's like, your mom in the matriarch, what's best for this family? What's best for my family? It pro- it might not even have been best for her. She's going to have to go work her ass off, redo all the stuff, learn another language, you know, set up another household. But she did that yeah. because she's going, what's best for my family? And I, and I just think those are such, uh, you know, those are monumental insights that you gain from some of the most successful people. And that I've gained and I see. And uh, and I talk about successful. I'm not just talking about financial you know, how is life? You know, is, is life a joy? You know, of course, we have all the shit that goes on in life, but it doesn't mean that the joy goes away. I mean, I have lots of crap going on in my life, but I love my life. And and so it's an interesting. So I, I dwell on that only in the conversation, Dahlia, because I respect so much what, what Victor has meant to you in terms of your success and the journey that you've been on as, a, as an entrepreneur. And so I think it's, it's kind of cool. Now, you come from Kuwait, 
did you go to university here as well? Did you go to, did you go back to school? What did you do when you got to Canada at that time? Uh, I finished university in Kuwait. Mm -hmm. uh, so did my computer science uh, with a minor in accounting and then moved to Canada, started in IT. And then uh, while with Bank of Montreal, uh, they were uh, offering to uh, cover the costs for an MBA for those who are uh, performing at their top tier performers uh, from certain, like from divisions across the bank. So I, I really strive to be, to get to that tier so they can, you know, support the MBA for me. And um, I did uh, complete a four years program with Dalhousie University in MBA in finance. I was the only IT person in that group. Mm. There were 30 um, top professionals from the bank in that class. And I was the only geek in the class. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was the only geek. And I'm proud to say that I was a geek because, you know, you were with very accomplished business people. You had people from all sorts of areas in the bank, VPs, senior VPs. And I was this you know, database administrator who came from the server's room that, yeah, I was doing well in IT that jumped into the SMBA program. And I wasn't, I didn't have the language everyone else was talking about. Sure. So uh, I spent four years doing that program and it did transform me. It transformed me in terms of um, understanding business challenges, thinking differently, uh, coming out of my comfort zone as an IT geek, uh, I was an introvert. I couldn't, I wasn't comfortable going out and making any presentations. I would just shake and I would turn so red doing a presentation to the class. <laughs> I couldn't put two words together. And it just helped push me and push me and push me. And eventually um, it built that muscle. And I'm so grateful for that. That transformed not just my thinking, but also my mental capacity, mental capacity and, and, and resiliency as well. It was a tough program, very, very tough program. So what do you think, Dahlia? I mean, you know, you, you talk about being an introvert in the tech world, but you don't show up as an introvert today. Okay, now you stretched, you trained, you did all the things. So you, you show up very much like an extrovert. You like people, you like hanging out with people, you like doing stuff, but that doesn't mean like I'm far more extroverted than Stephanie, but I say that I, I can hang out by myself for weeks on end. Like I'm, I'm good. Like I, I, I love to have people in my life. I love to have conversations, but you know, even with, with, you know, COVID I was happy. I, I it could have been just Stephanie and I it could have been just me. I'm good. Like I, I, I really was. Uh, Stephanie is very much, I mean, She's big on stage. She's public. She's doing stuff all the time, but she's very introverted. So the point is like when she shuts down and when she wants to be alone, it's like, okay, sweetheart, me, you don't invite anybody over. We're not going anywhere. I just want to hang out with you. Stop. Full stop. Yeah. So how is it for you in that, you know, you identify that you took as, you know, you as an introvert, you stretched to become quite extroverted, which I think should be encouraging to any introverts out there that are listening to this, that it is possible. But what is it for you now? Are you, have you, is that whole introverted thing a thing in the past or were you an extrovert that was playing introvert or tell me a little bit about that? 
Yeah, I think I think I've always loved people. I've always loved being around people, uh, working with others, and this is why actually I moved eventually from IT to the business world because I felt that I was a little bit isolated. So when I say that I was an introvert, um, I it, it wasn't in the sense that I wanted to be. I like to be alone. It's more of I guess uh, being shy and and didn't want to talk much in public that's that's really what i i'm referring to as, as being an introvert got it um and then through the training that i've been through and forcing myself to go through non uncomfortable zones despite the pressure it gradually that shell gradually broke and it it's now second hand yeah. um so yeah, just what you do Got it. Understood. So that's kind of cool. So now as we sit here today and, and we start to wind down the conversation a little bit, I do want to know a little bit more about Victor. Like, what, is, what does Victor do? You know, I mean, I, I, he's an amazing husband. He's a father to your children. Um, you know, what, what does Victor do? What, what, what game does he play? So Victor also was um, uh, was an executive in the business world uh, many, many years ago. And uh, he eventually... Uh, took the entrepreneurial path. So he owns his business now as well. But I started first and then Victor followed. So we always agreed that we're going to leapfrog. So, uh, you know, when it's time for me to leapfrog, Victor supports. And when it's time for Victor to leapfrog, I, I support or we work a support system because if we're both trying to leapfrog at the same time, <laughs> you know, something has to give. <laughs> Let me assure you that's true. I <laughs> Stephanie, is, Stephanie and I are both very entrepreneurial entrepreneurial and she is uh, as much as I am. But uh, anyway, so we have to, we sometimes are juggling that exact issue. Yeah. So we have, we, we're conscious about who's leapfrogging right now. Okay. Sure. Dahlia's leapfrogging. Okay. You know what? This is going to be a tough time, but Victor is supporting. Victor is leapfrogging. Okay. You know, Dahlia's going to, going to support. And, and we're just conscious about it so that we don't find ourselves in a position where we're both leapfrogging and something significant falls apart. But um, Victor is a business owner, but he's also, uh, as I mentioned, he's my sounding board. He's my advisor because he's got um, a lot of business experience when it comes to a lot of things he learned in the business world sure. from, you know, pricing, strategy, technology, um, yep. logistics, all of that. So he's, and he's an amazing father as well. Amazing father. So, okay. So as we wind down, I always go to a few, uh, you know, what we call rapid fire questions. We don't need rapid fire answers, but you ready for some questions? Uh-oh. They're just meant to be fun. That's it. <laughs> They're pretty simple. I'm just setting up. I always, I always set up my guests for going, okay, now what the hell is he doing? But anyways, so you talked about, you went on a little bit of a spiritual journey. So you were reading and doing some studying, some personal growth, some personal mastery kind of stuff, I'm assuming. What's one of your favorite books that you've read along the way and um, that you would even give as a gift? So two books that I'm, I've, been learned, I've been reading during COVID that have actually helped me uh, tremendously. One book is by Eckhart Tolle. Yep. It's called A New Earth, and it's about elevating your consciousness and uh, being present in everything you do and uh, the techniques on how to do that. Uh, for me that I've read that book many times. I never understood it. Sometimes I read it and I went, what, what is this? I don't get it. And then just 
recently, somehow I started understanding what he's talking about and applying it on a daily basis. So that book has been phenomenal. The other one is by uh, Robin Sharma, and it's called The 5 a.m. Club, Mm -hmm. uh, which talks about your morning routine every day uh, and how that has a huge influence over how you're going to manage your day and operate and perform. Uh, So some of the techniques there have also been really, really helpful for me. And I've been waking up at around 5.30, 6 a.m., starting, you know, just third week of COVID because I was looking for ways to help me. And I've come across these two two books that have really helped me out. You know, the 5 a.m. I've read both those books. Um, 5 a.m. Club, Robin Sharma was kind of cool. I, I There's parts of it I enjoyed. I listened to the audio part of it, which I didn't enjoy. Great book. So many good tips in there. If you If you've never kind of lived in that world of being an early riser. I have, I do. I, it's my gig. I, I can't help it. I've always been a 5 a.m. guy. And not that I don't sleep till six, but that's just my makeup. So, but that is a very, very good book in terms of tips and insights for a morning routine. And I think that morning routines are so incredibly important. And and I'm sure you've discovered that as well, is that, you know, you maybe had to break shift into a new habit, but yes. can you imagine not having that morning routine now? You've been at it since, you know, for eight weeks or so. Is it become that kind of new habit? Has it become that new thing for you yet? Absolutely. It's yeah. become a habit. It's, it's, I no longer wake up on an alarm clock and my, my body just wakes up and it's five thirty six o'clock. Yep. I just wake up and it's like, wow. Okay. I woke up without an alarm clock and I have the routine and it's ingrained now in my daily, um, daily practice. I love that. And, and tell me a little bit about sleep for you, because it's, it's a topic, you know, that is so, so widespread and important, you know, lack of sleep, people don't sleep. You know, I, I, I monitor my sleep, I track it. And because I've really taken an interest in it over the past couple of years, because I'm not a big sleeper. Like I, I'm just not, I, I probably average six hours, six and a half hours. And, and, you know, I've just gotten, that's what it is. Like, I don't struggle through the day. I don't have brain fog. I don't have, you know, and if I need a nap, I have an app and like, I, that's the way I'm built. Are you a big sleeper? Do you need like an eight hour day, an eight hour sleep or nine hours? What is it for you, Dahlia? I love sleeping. Mm-hmm. I really, really like sleeping, <laughs> but <laughs> I, and I generally need um, seven to seven and a half hours. Otherwise, I'm extremely cranky and very edgy person mm-hmm. uh, just because I didn't get my sleep. But um, with my new routine, I make sure I get the seven hours. I go to bed early so that I get up in time for the morning routine, but I still get my seven hours. I've tried to cut that down and I could feel the impact on my body. It was very, it wasn't productive. So I still have the seven hours, but I also focus on the the bedtime uh, routine. So there is a morning routine, but there is also a bedtime routine. The bedtime routine is, you know, one hour before going to bed, don't touch any devices. Yeah, you know, I like to 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 have some sense in my room before going to bed. Some calming music, dim the lights, just to get ready for bed, and and that also helps me, you know, get into that zone of relaxation before bedtime, so I can have a better sleep, quality mm. of sleep. So important to have that routine and to understand how your sleep cycle is and what you need. But sleep is so incredibly important. So yeah. cool. Thanks for sharing that. Do you have a favorite inspirational quote that comes to mind? I don't know the quote word for word, but what the quote 
I believe said is small daily improvements done consistently yield massive results. It's it's something around. Yeah, I think you pretty much nailed it. I don't remember who said it, but I, I I'm from yeah, yeah yeah. And for me, that's now you know, what I, what I go by, there are days where you wake up and you go, Oh, I don't want to do, I don't want to do my exercise or no, I don't want to do this today. But then you remember, Oh, it's the little daily things that you have the discipline to do and you stick with it. That will show massive results at the end. When, when, when people say, okay, what did you do to become successful? It's that daily consistent work on your skill, consistent work on your goal. Although it's many steps, all of these many steps add up at the end. And I can definitely relate to that. And this is why I love this goal. I love that as well. You know, it's, it is those incremental things because here's the year, you know, good habits take time to produce results. Okay. For sure they do, but bad habits will take time to produce results. You can smoke, you can carry too much weight, you can not exercise, all kind of bad habits, but the result you get, it'll show up down the road. Or you can not smoke, you can manage your weight, and you can exercise, you too will get a result down the road. Which result down the road do you want? Either way, the habit that you live into, the incremental changes that you make or don't make, have a result. You know, the takeaway from what you talk about, you remind me of here, remind me uh, Dahlia, is those incremental changes. It doesn't have to be these big, massive shifts. You know, you don't have to go to working out an hour a day. You know, it's it's like, go for a walk for 20 minutes. Go for a walk for 10 minutes. Get your body moving for 20 minutes. It doesn't have to be big. And those are the things that lead to a result down the road of a physical wellness and of mental wellness. So cool. I love that. I love that. Room desk or your car, what do you clean first? My room. Your room. I clean my room first because um, I, I want to be in an environment that uh, inspires me and and I'm connected to the space that I'm in. So I clean my room first and then the car. Do you have uh, any OCD tendencies, obsessive compulsive tendencies, any OCD thing that you got to have it a certain way? That I got to have at a certain way? No, I'm pretty no. easy going. No, yeah. not really. See, for me, I got to, you know, you would never know it if you looked at what I call, you know, my kind of mission control here in front of me because I got screens and computer and lines and wires. It, it looks pretty cluttered. But outside of that space, it's pretty organized, pretty clean. And and I have to have it that way or my, like, a cluttered space clutters my brain. I need that space to do it. So that's yes. my, my, and I don't know if I'm OCD a bit about it. Stephanie would probably say, dude, you're so not OCD about that. But anyways, to me, I am. Do you have a favorite tune? A favorite tune? Yes, all of the Latin hits are my favorite tunes. Oh. I love Latin music. Now, you said you dance too. Do you dance too? I'm not a professional dancer or anything, but I've taken classes before and I love salsa and bachata and merengue and, uh, cool. you know, the beats. Yeah. Well, and if you're going to, if you're going to exercise, that would, that's a great way to do it. Right. Do you have a favorite movie? I don't watch TV. <laughs> I don't have a favorite movie. Beautiful. Yeah, you got to watch a couple movies with the kids. You got like Little Mermaid or something. Oh, yeah, maybe I could remember <laughs> it. I watched them, but I 
I don't have a personal favorite movie. That that's awesome. What's your favorite swear word? My favorite swear word? Yeah. Starts with an F. Are you an F bomber? Wow. Yeah. That's good yeah. for you. That surprised me. I bite my lip so that I don't say it. And <laughs> when when don't. when I have to say it, but then I go say it somewhere to get it out. <laughs> yeah, it's just Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I have no guilt around it. It's it's just one of those things. That I think there's it. It says a lot of things in one word. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? Well, that's a good question. I. It would be lovely to to hear God say, Dahlia, you have helped so many people in many ways, not just through your work, but wherever you could help, you've helped. What are you grateful for today, Dahlia? I'm grateful um, that I'm here, present, healthy, in Canada. After this podcast, I'm speaking with many clients who I know I will enjoy my conversation with. I am grateful for for the fact that I have control over my day and um, just being healthy. Healthy is the biggest thing I'm grateful for, I would say right now, Uh, because without the health, we can't do anything. There is nothing. I am grateful for you being my guest today. I'm grateful to have gotten to know you over the past many months and that you're a part of the RAIN community and are always of service and uh, very, very grateful for that. Like you, I'm very grateful for my health and my wonderful family and um, living in Canada. You know, that's where I'm at today. So Dahlia, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Been fun and uh, look forward to catching up real soon. Thank you very much, Patrick. I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Have a great day. You bet. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.